there. Welcome to the Alenia Church Podcast. This is your place to catch all of Alenia Church's previous messages. Messages designed to equip you on your journey with Christ. In today's episode, we're going to look at the topic of transformation. I believe God wants to use all of us in our daily lives, but all too often, our insecurities, our mishaps, and the view of ourselves gets in the way. Well, as believers, I'm certain God has called us to minister right where we are, but too many of us are too hesitant. Well, today we're going to look at the person of Simon Peter. How did this person who was a nobody become the type of person that could stand up in front of thousands of people and preach one of the greatest sermons ever recorded? Now, before we begin, please note at the beginning of our message, we had a little audio issue and we had to switch mics, but you're only missing about 30 seconds of audio. And as always, take some notes and enjoy. Hey, I, I before I begin and... Uh, this I I don't like doing this. Um, I'm not the type of pastor that wants to chastise his people, and uh, there's you know lots of culture wars going on, and I just I feel like that this is one of the things that I couldn't let slide. I had to speak up. <laughs> and it's 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 on this topic, y'all. It's November. It's not Christmas yet. It's not Christmas yet. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. Poor Thanksgiving is getting shoved to the side. The rule is the tree does not go up until the day after Thanksgiving. I just want to... <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm glad you all can respond well to criticism. Uh, man, I was, I, we're, my wife and I are walking around our neighborhood, and we're like, good night. There's so many houses already decked out and lights, and we still have rotting pumpkins on our front porch. <laughs> and we, in, in Virginia, we had acreage, and when we were done with our pumpkins, we would just take the pumpkins and chuck them out into the woods, Right. And uh, now we can't do that. We've got to bag them up and, and shove them in the garbage. Uh, well, today I want to talk about this idea of transformation. And uh, you, you got a glimpse in worship about where I'm going with this, but it's this idea of internal transformation. And I love a good transformation story. I love movies that have a good transformation story, you know, with uh, Frodo Baggins. He's a little half pint and he realizes that he has got, got it in him to help save the world or, or Harry Potter realizes that he has what it takes to, to de defeat the, the, evil, the evilness that's in the world. Or um, You've got Luke Skywalker who is a moisture farmer and he realizes that he is, uh, he is going to be one of the greatest Jedi to ever live. Or for this generation, you have Ray, who is a scavenger, and uh, she realizes that she has it inside of her to become an amazing Jedi and defeat the, the emperor who has somehow risen from the grave. I have no idea how that happened. Yeah, come on now. Or, or Moana. Moana, where she realizes she has to take the entire movie to realize why. The ocean chose her to, to save 
her island and to save her people. And she famously sang, see the line where the sky meets the sea. It calls me and no one knows how far it goes. I'm not sure what that'll do for attendance next week, but, <laughs> but I want to talk about a good transformation story this morning. It's one of my favorite transformation stories. It's the man, Simon Peter. And Simon Peter is a transformation story of a guy who is a nobody at the beginning of the story. And by the end of the story, he is preaching to thousands of people, and they're responding to the gospel. Let me, let me, use, the, let me use the handheld. He burns in spectacular fashion, always very, very publicly. Someone who's always trying to, to measure up, and then he just flops in front of everyone. And, and I can't imagine what must go through his mind every time that he failed, because when he failed, everybody knew it. In fact, if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all talk about the fall of Peter. They all mention Peter denying Christ three times. Everybody knew he did it. Everybody knew that he had messed up. Well, for us to understand this transformation of Peter, we need to understand who Peter was. Peter was from the town of Bethsaida. It was on the shores of Galilee. It was on the northern end of the shore of Galilee. He was among the com common people. He was uneducated. He didn't have all the accoutrements of someone who lived in Jerusalem. And because he was uneducated and because he was common, the, the religious rulers of the time would have looked down on the people who were common as people who were uh, kind of, you know, less than. Peter from Galilee would have been more of an independent soul. The, the people of that area would have tended to thumb their nose at kind of the some of the religious, uh, uh, some of the religious particulars that Jerusalem would hand down. He he was a hard worker. He smelled real bad. He was a fisherman. That was his that was his trade. Fishermen in that time they would have spent most of their days working on their nets. They would clean their nets so they wouldn't rot. They would have to mend their nets and repair the holes. They would have to repair the weights. They would have to work on the boat. That was all he ever knew was being a fisherman. And I don't know if you've ever been fishing, but you can't get that stink off of you. So he was a, a hard worker. He was diligent. He, he, knew how to, he knew how to sweat. He knew how to earn his money. He was, he was crusty. And somehow Peter was seen by Jesus as someone who was having some potential. Personality-wise, Peter was a hothead. We all know the hotheads in our lives. He was impulsive. He was very much ready, shoot, aim. He was one who would speak before he thought. He was one who would act before he decided. He was always getting out over the skis a little too far. And somehow he still became a disciple of Jesus. He's one of the first people that Jesus said, hey, I want you to come follow me. I am going to make you a fisher of men. So what was it about Peter that Jesus saw that he could use? 
Now, before we get too far, we need to understand what a disciple is. He called him to be one of the disciples. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, your New Testament, Jesus would call these guys and say, Hey, I want you to follow me. And when they followed him, they became his disciple. And a disciple is this. A disciple is one who accepted and assisted in the spreading the ideas of another. In fact, if you look back through the Bible and historical texts, you realize that a lot of people had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. These disciples believed in the message of the person they were following. They agreed to follow them, support them, help them in their ministry, and also spread the message of what that person was sharing. So Peter would have said goodbye to his family. He was married. We, we, hear, we see in one of the Gospels that he had a mother-in-law, so he was married. He would have left his family, followed Jesus for months on the end, only to come and return for short visits. So what happened to Peter? Well, what I want us to do is I want us to fast forward years down the road. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus, three days later, got up out of the grave. He spent 40 days on the earth. He appeared to hundreds of people. He ascended into heaven. And before he ascended, he told the disciples, I want you to wait here for the Holy Spirit. And they wait for the Holy Spirit. And we, we went over this a couple months ago in a, in a different sermon series. And the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost. And they, they started speaking in different tongues. And thousands gathered around to figure out what was this commotion. And guess who stands up among them? This guy named Peter. It says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them. So here you have stinky, fishy, crusty, hothead, screw-up Peter, and now he's standing up in front of thousands of people. We know from the text that 3,000 people were added to the church. So let's just use our imagination and realize that there wasn't just 3,000 people there hearing the message. There were more than that that were sitting there hearing the message that Peter got up and spoke. He got up with boldness. He got up with, with his shoulders back. He, he got up and he proclaimed loudly. Now, we look back in chapter 1 of Acts and we realize that Peter was a leader of the disciples. Jesus has ascended. They have, Peter looks around and says, well, there was 12 of us. Now, Judas did what he did. He betrayed Jesus. He's now not here, so we need to add a twelfth to it. He helps lead the disciples in choosing a twelfth disciple. So he was the leader of the disciples, and scholars agree about that. And he gets up and he preaches this message that Jesus is the Son of God. He was the chosen Redeemer of the nation of Israel, and he is the one who has come to take away their sins. Now you read later in Acts that people would look at Peter and they would marvel at who he was. They would marvel at what he was accomplishing. It says this in Acts 4.13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, Let's look at the history of Peter. If, if all of the 12 disciples had given me their resume, this is Matthew. Matthew's good with numbers. 
Matthew's really detail-oriented. This is Peter. Uh, you look, this is John. You look at all their resumes. I would have grabbed Peter's, and I would have probably chucked it in the trash. Peter is not my choice to preach to thousands of people on the day of Pentecost. Peter is not my choice to lead the disciples. Why? Because he had a great track record of failing. Peter was really good at screwing up. Peter was really good at doing the wrong thing at the right time. I got four examples for you. The first one I call is the rebuke. Peter has just said the right thing to Jesus, that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you know what? Man didn't give this to you. God gave that knowledge to you. And he, he gave me, he said, you're going to be Peter. You're going to be my rock. And on this statement of faith that you just gave, I'm going to build my church. Right? And then Jesus says, listen, I'm going to have to die at the hands of the religious rulers. What's Peter do? He comes to Jesus' protection. He's going to protect Jesus. He's going to come to his defense. It says, Peter took Jesus aside. Now, I love this. Just use your imagination. Peter, he knows better. Hey, Jesus. Now, okay, Jesus is the Son of God. Y'all follow me? He's the Son of God. Peter pulls him aside and says, hey, let me tell you how it's really going to go down. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but you're thinking about human concerns. All right, so I got on my resume, Jesus called him Satan. Not passing the muster. All right, second one, the nap. Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've already had uh, the famous uh, uh, Lord's Supper, right? They broke the bread. This is my, this is my body, doing remembrance of me. This is this co- the new covenant, doing remembrance of me. And then they go away to pray. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's on the side of the Mount of Olives. And the Garden of Gethsemane is this beautiful grove of olive trees. If you go there, you'll see... Olive trees that are just, they're monstrous. They're thousands of years old. It's a beautiful, a beautiful scene. And Jesus leaves the disciples behind and says, Here, I need you to pray with me. I need your prayer support. I'm going to go over here and get alone, and I'm going to pray. Jesus comes back, and he finds them sleeping. And he's like, come on, guys, wake up. This is kind of an important night. I need you to pray with me. Then he goes away, and he prays by himself, and he comes back, and listen to what he says. He says, then he came, and he found them sleeping. He said, Peter, Simon, why are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? So now we've got, he, he, Jesus calls him Satan. Now he's got a bad case of narcolepsy. He can't, keep, seem, to, he can't seem to just stay awake and pray at the request of his master. The, the, the rabbi that he is following, the rabbi who said, hey, you, my disciple, this is the one thing I need you to do. I need you to stay awake and pray. And he can't do it. He falls asleep. Well, shortly after that, we have another failing, the outburst. The people, Judas betrays Jesus for, for some silver. The people come 
with their torches and their swords. They're going to arrest Jesus, and Peter's not having it. Because he's already, he's already rebuked Jesus once. He's like, it's not going to be like this. But it says this, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. Makes me think that Peter was, was probably left-handed. And the servant's name was Malchus. And at that, Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Man, poor Peter. Just can't seem to get things right. Can't seem to get things right. And then you have the famous denial. Like I said, every book, every, every gospel talks about the denial of Peter. So Peter follows Jesus along, and he's in this courtyard. And they have little fire pits built, and they're warming themselves. And, and Jerusalem is at elevation. In other words, anytime you look at the Bible, especially in the Psalms, and it says, it says uh, Psalms of Ascent, like they're going up to Jerusalem. It's not like here in Murfreesboro, we're going up to Nashville because Nashville is north of us. That's not what it means. It means going up, literally going up the mountain. So Jerusalem is at elevation. In fact, if you go sometimes, it snows in Jerusalem. It gets really cold there. It's beautiful, but you can have, you can have some snow-covered nights. And so this was a cold night. And they're warming themselves by the fire, and Peter is there, and it says, while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man of Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway and a rooster crowed. Now prior to this, Jesus had predicted that Peter was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed crowed twice. So that's the first crow. So here's the second one. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. Some of the books of the Bible says that he called down curses. So now he's cussing people out. Bleepity bleep. I don't know who bleepity bleep is. So that's, that's, that's two denials. Then you have the third denial, and it's one of my, I, I, I kind of have to read some comedy into it. So one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, <laughs> now, now their relatives are after him. <laughs> he said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? You, killed our, you, you cut off Uncle Billy's, Uncle Billy's ear. I, I saw you. In fact, you look at another, uh, my accents are horrible. I don't even know what that was. (laughs) What I love about this, when you look at another book of the Bible, and it says that they recognized Peter by his accent. In other words, Peter was a Galilean country bumpkin who sounds a lot like me, and they're in the courtyard, and Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, you're from Galilee. <laughs> you, you've got to be with that Jesus guy. So Peter denied it again, and immediately the rooster crowed. Now, here's, here's the sad part. Then, now, think about this. The courtyard, maybe it's as big as this room. So Peter's here warming, the, warming his hands by the fire. Someone comes up and says, I recognize your accent. 
You've got to be with that guy, Jesus. And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus is about as far as I am away from the soundboard. And he's, he's on trial. And it says Jesus turned around and he locked eyes with him. Locked eyes with him. Look what scripture says. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Not, not alligator tears, like he wept bitterly. I don't know if you've ever wept bitterly. Where you just, you sob. You sob because you're, you're hurt. You sob because you're, you're tired. You sob because you realize you've screwed up. You sob because you don't know what else to do. And your body just uncontrollably gets out what's inside. And I think here, here we have the beginning of the transformation of Peter. I don't think we have the entire transformation of Peter, but I think we have the beginning of the transformation of Peter. There in the text, we have a recorded moment that Peter was at the end of his rope. He is hopeless. He is helpless. And Peter finally realizes that he's not enough. But for us to understand Peter's transformation, I think we have to look at what Jesus did to bring Peter back into the fold. Because Jesus knew what he had done. He locked eyes with them. And I don't, I don't know what that would have felt like. I mean, imagine, imagine yourself at your worst day. Imagine... When you really blew it. I really want you to do this. Imagine when you really, really blew it. You lost your temper. You cheated on your spouse. You fudged the numbers on the account. You, you had one too many drinks. You chose to walk away. You chose to stay up late, look at porn. I want you to think about the time you really, really blew it. And then imagine Jesus locking eyes with you at that one moment. What would that have felt like? I think Jesus understood Peter's mindset. And I think Jesus understands our mindset. And I think what we've got to realize is Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him. And what I love about Jesus and what we should love about Jesus is he is a pursuing God. It says this in Mark 16, 7, after the resurrection, the ladies have run to the, they've gone to the tomb. They see these two angels and they're like, where's the body? And the angels Look at the ladies and they say, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. 
He is going ahead of you to Galilee, Jesus says. You will see him there just as he told you. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples, but don't forget to tell the one who I know is the most broken of them all. And he's not broken because he thinks I'm dead. He's broken because he thinks he failed. Go tell the one who, who I know he's beside himself right now. Go tell the one who is at the end of his rope. Go tell the one who wants to give it all up. And if we take the post-resurrection stories and we reconstruct a timeline, we see that the ladies did that. They went and they told Peter, and it says, it says that Peter ran to the tomb and he looked in and he, he walked away amazed. And I wonder what was going through his head. Was it like, man, this is the change of everything. Man, Jesus has rose from the grave. Man, this is going to be great. Man, we're, this, is, this is the beginning of a new covenant. I, I don't know. I know what I would have been thinking. Oh my gosh, what am I going to say to him? What, what am I going to, how am I going to, how am I going to make up for that? When he needed me most, I turned my back on him. What am I going to do? And we start to see how little by little Jesus brings Peter back into the fold. It says that same day that Jesus appeared to the eleven, he ate some fish and some bread. He said, hey, here's my hands, here's my feet. This is where the nails went through. Here's where the, the spear pierced my side. You can touch it. You think, I'm, you think I'm a ghost. I'm not. Touch everything. This is real. And remember, he said, hey, I want want to meet you in in Galilee. So the disciples follow his instructions. They go to Galilee, and that's a haul, all right? This is not like, it's not like get on 24 and do 65 up to to Galilee. They had to to hike like seven days. It's like a journey. And Jesus meets them in Galilee, and it's the famous story where Peter's like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go back to know what I'm doing. I know how to fish. This religious stuff is not for me. Can't seem to get my ducks in a row. Can't seem to do what's right. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, and I'm sitting here 20 feet from him, and I can't even say I know who he is. I'm just going back to fishing. And Jesus is on the shore, and he's like, hey, hey, cast your nets over there. And the, guy, and the guys are like, well, fine. I don't know who this joker is. They throw their nets over and they haul in a haul in a, a boatload of fish, quite literally. And Peter looks out and he's like, oh my gosh, that's, that's Jesus. And he tucks his cloak in and he jumps into the water. And he swims after Jesus and he, he gets to the shore of Galilee and he sees a fire. And you can't overlook the symbolism because it was over a fire that Peter said, I don't know who he is. I don't know who he is. For the love of God, leave me alone. I don't know who he is. And Jesus has recreated the scene with a fire 
And he says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yeah, you know I love you. Eat a little bit more. Peter, do you love me? It's like, short-term memory? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Peter, do you really, really love me? Do you love me more than these? Peter, again, he's broken. He says, he says, he asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You've locked eyes with me. You know my deepest, darkest thoughts. You know that I can't do this. You know that I've screwed up. You know that I fell asleep on you. You know that I denied you three times. You know that I've, I've cut the guy's ear off. You know that I'm, I'm, I can't get things right. I've tried to rebuke you, and you called me the, told me Satan get behind me. And you, you know everything, Jesus. I mean, even with all that, you know, you, all I can do is I can love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Maybe that's the transformation. I think a lot of us think that Jesus right there reinstated Peter and Peter's ready for ministry and he's like, hey, let's go. Peter's ready to go preach to thousands, but I don't think that that's the transformation because just a little while later, Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved, John. I don't know why John did that. It's always comical to me. We look at the book of John. John refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Didn't love any of these other guys, but he loved me. Anyway, saw the disciple Jesus loved, following them, and the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? So when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? So it tells me I don't think Peter is quite there yet. That transformation is not complete. Because Peter is still worried about what everybody else is doing. Peter's still flipping through Instagram, comparing himself to other people. Peter's still looking at Facebook, worried about what Mary Lou McGillicuddy's doing. Peter is still looking at the news, worrying about this. Peter's still worrying about that. Peter's not worried about himself. He's worried about everybody else. Peter is too concerned. Peter can't weep with those that weep and rejoice with those with rejoice. He's still concerned about what is the fate of other people, not what Jesus is trying to do in himself. He's too concerned with comparing himself with other people. So I don't think the transformation is over yet. He's not focused on the right things. He is still too concerned about his own place in history. But we know it doesn't stay that way because you look at 1 Peter 5, 5. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So at some point, Peter, a, a switch flipped. Somewhere along the line, he had an epiphany. Somewhere along the line, he had an aha moment. And I think it happens at one of the last interactions Jesus has with the disciples. He's with them all together, and it says this. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Now, where's, where's the transformation? Watch this. Peter in Acts 2, he says this. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know if you saw that, but Jesus gives them the scripture, opens it up. He reveals from Genesis on how every story pointed to him, how the prophets were saying that he was coming, how the Messiah must suffer. And I think that in that moment, Peter realized it's not about me. That was the transformation moment because Peter got, gets up in front of thousands of people and repeats the same message that Jesus gave him in that upper room. That was what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached Jesus crucified and risen. And what we cannot miss is that Peter was able to believe more for other people because he finally believed more for himself. Peter finally realized that it wasn't all about him. He didn't have to strive. He didn't have to figure it out. He didn't have to work so hard. He didn't have to keep putting himself out there only to fail in miserable fashion. He didn't have to try to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He had to realize that Jesus was his champion. He had to realize that it was Jesus who was the Messiah. He had to realize that it was Jesus died, rose again, defeated death, hell, and the grave. That was the promise. And Peter was able to believe that for his nation because he finally believed it for himself. And the moment that we can realize that we don't have to keep striving, that in the person of Jesus Christ is all and all, everything that we need, everything that has been promised has been given to us, if we will just realize it, and what I want us to realize is our community is going to need us to believe something greater for them. Our community. Just as Peter got up at Pentecost with a burden for his nation and he wanted them to know who this Christ was. He was burdened for them. He wanted them to understand it was Jesus Christ. Listen, it's not about me, Peter. I'm not that great. I used to think I was, but now I realize that it's God through me, not just me. And Peter finally had to get to this point where he could believe more for himself so that he could believe more for his nation. And for us to believe more for our community, we've got to believe more for ourselves as well. We've got to believe that God still rescues people from hell. 
We've got to believe that God still heals shattered marriages. We've got to believe that God still breaks addictions. We've got to believe that God still heals broken bodies. We've got to believe that God still gives purpose. We've got to believe that God still comforts the brokenhearted. We've got to believe that God still sees us in our loneliness, in our isolation, in our confusion, and in our turmoil, that God still sees you. We've got to believe that God still restores, God still redeems, and God still renews. And before we can believe something greater for other people, we've got to first believe it for ourselves. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to use you? Do you believe that God wants to empower you? Do you believe that if you can look at Peter as a case study, that man, what a screw up, and God still used Peter to win thousands of people to Jesus. Look at yourself and do you do you think of yourself as lesser than? I'm here to tell you, stop thinking of yourself as lesser than because it's not about you, it's about Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ was and is and will always be the answer. Peter had to believe something greater for himself housed in the person of who Jesus is before he could believe something greater for his people. And like Peter, we have to believe and we have to realize and we have to receive that it's not up to us. That this grace is bound up in the character of Jesus Christ. In these next few weeks, the reason I wanted to preach this message is in these next four or five weeks as we lead into Christmas, it is one of the most opportune times to reach people where they are. Because at the holidays, you know what goes up? Depression. Do you know what goes up at the holidays? Suicide. Do you know what goes up at the holidays? Addiction. Why? Because people are lonely, they're hurting, they're isolated, and that is not God's plan for them. And we have got to be able to see them, and we will not be able to see them if all we see is ourselves. So these next few weeks, as God empowers you, let go of all your insecurities. Let go of all your doubts that God can use you. Let go of all your hang-ups and instead focus on who He is as your Savior. And when we do that, you will be amazed at how God uses you. Listen, I realize you all, we're not all Peters. We're not all Pauls. We're not all Jameses. We're not all Abrahams. But we are Kendalls, we are Johns, we are Jeremy's, we are Nancy's, we are Max's. And God has called you for this specific season and this specific purpose to spread his gospel and to spread his kingdom and to change the community around you. Don't you doubt that for a second. And when God uses you in the coming weeks to change a life, to slow down, to see someone long enough to say, let me pray with you. Let me just say this. Don't say, I'll be praying for you. Say, I'm going to, let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. God will use you to mend a relationship. God will call you to swallow your pride and ask for forgiveness. God wants to use you, and I think you will be amazed at the power of the name Jesus Christ has in your life. 
because you stop trying to be the hero and you realize that the hero has already shown up in your life and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. In the coming weeks, we're going to start a new series called Believe. And it may or may not have been inspired by a Apple TV series. Cue the smirk. Um, But it's a series that will lead us to the birth of Christ at our Christmas services. And we're going to look at the lineage of Christ and the people in God's family tree. We're going to look at November 21st next week. We're going to look at Abraham and Sarah and that you can believe that if God made a promise, he'll see it through. And November 28th, we're going to look at Rahab, the prostitute Rahab. And we're going to, be, we're going to, we're going to learn that you can believe you're never too far gone. We're going to look at these two unknown people, Aminadab and Nashon. You're like, who's that exactly? And you're going to believe you are making a difference even if you don't see it. We're going to look at Ruth and Boaz, and we're going to believe that as you walk while you're weeping, God is walking with you. We're going to look at December 19th, David, and that you can believe if God has called you, he'll equip you. And then our Christmas services, date to be determined. We're going to look at Joseph and Mary, and we're going to learn that you can believe God's interruptions are better than our plans. And this is my challenge to you. Be the light. Be the light. Be the light. Look past all your insecurities and realize that if God can use Peter, he can use you. And the way that you do it is you take one step at a time. And we've given you bunches of steps. When you walk out, we've got these invite cards that say, For God's to love the borough. And here's what you can do. You can, you can go to Starbucks and behind you, you can, you can give this to the people behind you and say, I'm getting your coffee. You can go through the line at Starbucks and say, I'm grabbing the person's coffee behind them. Just give them this card. You can... You can run into someone at Walmart and say, hey, how are you doing? You can look at the, you know what uh, we were able to do? Um, Go out to eat, say, we're going to pray for our dinner. How can we be praying for you? Like right now, I've I've had waitresses stop and pray right there with me. And they will share. People will share. Do you know It is not hard to minister to people because they need it. They need it. And this is not about building a linea. Listen, you want to give them 10 different church names? I don't care. This is about introducing people to Jesus Christ. Listen, this this scarcity mindset, well, we got to get them to come to the linea. We're not going to grow. There's plenty of people out there that need Jesus. There's plenty of people out there that need Jesus. I just want to train you to be the light where you are. And I want you to know that you can do it. Believe more for yourself so you can believe more for the people around you. 
And I want to give everybody always each week the opportunity to receive Christ. I want to bow your heads. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, each one of these people we talked about today, Peter and John, there was a moment in their life where they said, Jesus, I'm following you. And if you've not done that in your life, we give everybody an opportunity each week to do that. And you can do that by simply praying this prayer and just you can repeat it after me. And we ask everybody to pray it, for the fir- pray it out loud for everyone who's praying it for the first time for their benefit. So would you just repeat after me, dear Jesus, I love you. I have sinned. I have fallen short. Come into my life. Make me new. Change me. In your name we pray. Amen. As we wrap up today's episode, we have just two questions to ask. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? If you prayed to receive Christ today, would you take a moment and let us know by filling out the form at aleniachurch.org forward slash connect. We'd love to come alongside of you and begin praying for you. Thank you to everyone who supports Alenia Church financially. We couldn't do this without you. If you would like to take a step and begin giving to this ministry, you can do so at aleniachurch.org forward slash give. Every dollar goes to helping us spread the message of Jesus to the world around us. Last but not least, take a few moments to like, subscribe, rate, and leave comments wherever you get your regular diet of podcasts. It helps us out a lot, and it really means a lot to us that you choose to give us a few minutes of your week. If you live in the Murfreesboro area, we sure would love to see you in person, so come visit us. And remember, God loves you, He sees you, and He wants the best for you. God bless.